Hey everybody and welcome back to the Walk Out on a Wire once again podcast. I am your host Graham Brown and first things first I really wanted to just thank everybody for listening to our first podcast which was the June 5th 23 review of the Counting Crows show at the Troubadour Theater. Uh, I really did not imagine that the podcast would reach as many people as it did and I want to thank you all for listening and also specifically to those folks who took the time to make comments. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to know that people are out there listening and are interested in what we're talking about. So thank you very much. Uh, I would also say that we've got a great show for you today. We're going to have my good friend Christopher Jetto on the phone. We're going to do a little bit of Counting Crows origin story as well as just dive into what Chris has been working on. He's the lead singer in a new band. They have an album coming out, so definitely want to pick his brain about that. I would also be remiss if I didn't give a shout-out to the Sullivan Street podcast. Um, Definitely pioneers in that space, and some folks that really inspired me uh, and some of my good friends to talk a little bit more about the band that we love. So, Big shout out to Sullivan Street Podcast. Definitely check that out. I'll be listening. I'm already a big fan. So I um, wanted to make sure to recognize those guys as they definitely, again, were an inspiration for me here. Um, all right. With that, let's get into it for a second episode coming up with Mr. Christopher Jetto. speeches, if you will, about becoming a rock and roll star, realizing he's a rock and roll star. But we're here today to talk about how he got there. And as I mentioned, we have my good friend, Mr. Christopher Jetto with us. Chris, welcome. Oh, Graham, thank you for having me, man. Um, I must have missed the invitation to the first podcast, but uh, I will take seconds. I'm just happy to be here. Thank you, man, for having me. Please, by the end of this podcast run, you'll be begging me. You'll actually change your number so that I can't track you down. But uh, as I mentioned, pretty fired up after that intro from Duritz. And we're actually going to talk about how he got there, how he became a rock star. This is the Origin Story podcast. So uh, we're going to do a deep dive into what turned Adam Duritz and the band into rock and roll stars. But before we do that, a quick background about Chris. Uh, and Chris, feel free to uh, keep me honest here at the end. But uh, as I said, good friend, born and raised in Los Angeles, uh, was the lead singer of a band, the Luke and Chris Band, which is how we met, actually. Um, yeah. And we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, is now the lead singer of a band in Boise, Idaho, called The Fastest Fox Alive. So we're going to ask some questions about that. Uh, also holds a master's in family therapy, which, uh, based on the way this podcast is going, we're going to need some help with. And actually, also, um, we've talked about doing a, a little something along the lines of music and, uh, you know, and therapy and music relates to people. So um, we will not necessarily roll that out right now, but it's something we can look forward to. But Chris, again, welcome to the podcast. Anything that I messed up in your bio? 
No, that was beautiful. Thank you, man. Uh, yes, you know, got to gonna push the fastest fox alive. Rolling some songs out on six thirty. Got a Very little three song EP. Um, so you know, as you can tell, uh, I haven't let that dream go. I'm so I'm still going for it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, just out of curiosity, before we get into the origin story, uh, like Butter Miracle, will you be forced to play that EP from start to finish in the middle of all your concerts? <laughs> you mean will I force my all my ten fans? to listen to it you mean uh, absolutely i absolutely Thanks. will yeah Excellent. which is very no. hypocritical <laughs> yes i'm sure you will i'm sure you'll have many more than 10 fans i've heard some of the early songs they sound great but you know i i would be remiss if i didn't ask you i know we had talked this is not the troubadour show you heard my full-on meltdown in the first episode about that concert however i had reached out to you about that and told you about the concert at the time you were very uh displeased is the word i would use about the fact that you uh, were not able to make the show. So I wanna just kick it to you first. Take me through the emotions about the Troubadour show from start to finish. Yeah, I'll just turn the mic sure. over to you here. Yeah, I, um, you know, of course got the link you sent me to the first podcast and I saw the title of it, you know, Troubadour Travesty. And I knew, of course, knew immediately why it was a travesty um, and, and, and thought, you know, it could have aptly have been named the Troubadour told you so, you know, because uh, sort of knew that was going to happen. But, um, oh, man, Troubadour, you know, I grew up in L.A. and have always known the Troubadour as this iconic, live, intimate venue full of rock history moments. Um, U.S., L.A. debuts, um, live at the Troubadour recordings, post arena, impromptu shows secret shows, record release shows. I mean, this place is just full of, of rock history. Um, and so I was, you know, I, and I, you know, never had been there, right? That's so insane. now my, fa my favorite band of all time is going to play there. I've moved out of LA, of course, at this point. So now I'm in Boise and hearing about this concert that's happening. So I can't believe this is going on. Then I find out, well, I can't believe it's going on and I'm not going to be there, right? Then right. I find out, I can't believe this is going on. I'm not going to be there. But Graham got tickets to this thing, right? <laughs> Even worse. Even, right. Yeah, just when right. I couldn't get any worse, right? But he, he, <laughs> Graham's not going. I can't believe this is happening. I'm not going. Graham is going. And, oh, man, how disappointed he is going to be when he realizes <laughs> songs that they're going to roll out. Uh, when, you know, when, they're gonna, when seven out of the 15 songs or whatever are going to be songs he does not like. <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible. So I'm sure you felt a little bit better about not having to spring for a last minute ticket to Los Angeles to see them play Butterfly in Reverse. Yeah, amongst, and then the you know the, the songs, the, the cool 750 uh, that the you know secondhand tickets were going for too, right? That would have been a, yeah. that would have been a little much. Yeah, a little much. That's, but that's true. Uh, yeah, as, about a G. Yeah, as Fowler mentioned, you know, in in the podcast, there there was just zero chance that they were going to live up to to your expectations, or you know, probably the majority of people in that crowd, you know. Yeah, I think I think that's probably correct. But I, you know, and this is something that I know you have some experience with, um, just in terms. So I feel like you know Ryan Fowler in the first episode brought up the fact that I'd be perpetually disappointed. And that's just kind of my relationship with the Counting Crows. You, I think, share some of my frustration that might be more of our bond but maybe can you tell can you give us a little of your like backstory what's your not maybe your kind of experience but you know why you liked them how you got into them and what your experience has been as a fan before we get into the history yeah the history you do you want to hear about my my origin story with kind yeah. of girls 
I want to hear about oh, your yes. origin story. Sure, sure. Can I, can <laughs> we do, tricked the crowd yeah. into thinking you're going to tell me the County Crows origin story, <laughs> but I want to hear about your Just origin story. Just kidding. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, well, b- before we before we dive in that, I, sure. I do think it's worth mentioning that yes. just when you probably thought it couldn't get any worse, right? Yes. They just they just we just played a show in Omaha, and the yes. set list. I'm I'm sure you've seen it already. The set list, but yes. no, but no butter miracle, and yes. probably would have been the greatest show you'd ever seen if they had done that set list at the Troubadour. Yes. So to bring everyone up to speed um, and what Chris is talking about is that the County Crows just opened their tour, which was the Troubadour show was the kickoff to, and they played their first show in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, you know, when you're, when you're thinking as a band, where do you really want to bring it, right? Do you want to bring it at the Troubadour in front of celebs like myself and Cindy Crawford, or do you want to save that and just hammer it in Omaha, Nebraska. The answer is obviously always Omaha, Nebraska, where they played 18 songs, not one song from the Butter Miracle Suite EP, which, as to recap, they played the entire thing, and also played like Anna Begins, uh, Washington Square, Sullivan Street. Um, time and you know, time Richard, again. That's yeah. Time and time again. Richard yeah. Manuel. Oh. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. So yes, I am extremely. Thank you. I pre- that's just basically salt in the open wound yeah. that's still healing. Yeah. Exactly right. Show. Exactly right. They 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 still did give a beer run, you know, which is yeah. normally around songs nine and ten. They got <laughs> they threw in Blues Run the Game in front of the devil, which you know. Hey, I like Blues favorite. Run the Game. I, right, you know, okay. I, I liked it the first 10 times I heard it, right. sure. but I'm, 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 I'm done with it, you know, now. Thank but, you. Yeah. Now, so uh, I was let down, but have you been let down in the past by the Kevin Cross? Have you been let down uh, in the past by the Kevin Cross? Yes, of course. I mean, when, when we've, we've shared those moments at concerts, um, but I, you know, some of that I do realize is just that, and this is part of that tortured relationship is it comes from a place of loving them so much. And having having this feeling like there's just so much potential there, and um, and then feeling like, you know, maybe selfishly you're not playing the songs that I, I really want to hear, or that or that at least I feel like most of the fans do, most of the right. fans want to hear, um, right. and I don't know how to how to you know that process could be democratized. I don't really you know, prob- probably never. Although I you know in in sort of um, doing a little bit of reading and, and thinking like, maybe I should have some things to talk about in this podcast. I read somewhere that, that Adam doesn't make the set list or, or has, hasn't come and on. That, that, and that Dave is the one that makes the set. Now this is, um, sorry, I didn't read it. I actually uh, heard Adam say it in an interview. Wow. That da- Dave has always made the set list because Adam's like, I'm just too neurotic. Like I, I would just keep changing it. I could never finish one. Wow. Now, so now, think- yeah, that's incredible. That's that's yeah. interesting because Dave looks forlorn on the side of the stage, which yes. he's a key part of the origin stories we're going to get into here in right. a second. Right. But that's interesting to know that he's the one. Be sure that Adam doesn't have like a buzzer with like an electrical like thing, and everybody's <laughs> like, "I want to play Murder of One." And he's like, "Wrong answer." And he's like, "Okay, elevator boots." <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, well, you and I did have some experiences with the show. We'll probably do a three-way pod seeing them at the Wiltern, uh, actually with Ryan Fowler in, uh, and a couple other friends actually in Los Angeles, which was a great show. Um, but the funny part about that story that we can tease now is that it was an amazing show, right? I would say that was probably one of the best shows ever I've ever seen from the County Crows. But even better than that was at the end of the show, we all decided to go out in Hollywood and you were like, 
uh, from going home. Yeah, and almost we just all happen- <laughs> And we just happened to run into Duritz at the Standard Hotel on Sunset, uh, where he said, oh, I remember you guys were in the front singing, and we talked to him for a while. And where would that rank amongst your disappointments uh, for the County Crows? That's, uh, that's top five, for sure. That, okay. That's top five. Yeah. <laughs> How about missing the meet and greet at the Greek Theater? Where would you put that one? I mean, I, I, I have, uh, I've been, I've done one of the meet and greets, you know, okay, so, right, but, right, but right. so that's fine. That's fine. How many times does Duritz really want to see me? And, you know, right. probably not, probably <laughs> he never wants, wants to see me. us again. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the concert, the concert where I, I wore a, a, a dreadlocks wig, uh, and didn't get, and, and, and got a little bit of negative attention from him. That wasn't exactly how I planned that to go. Maybe that was too much. I realized that a little too sure. late. Um, when Charlie, we were at the, I think we were at the Greek and, yes. uh, we, you, you, when I say we, that's you and me at the Greek. Um, and, and we got around to the side of the stage up front, Charlie's playing the accordion. I turned to take a picture at, for you to get me like right up at stage. Charlie's right above me. He steps on my head. Yes. Right? And the, and the crowd's like, ah! oh, stepping on my, yeah, stepping on my head. And yes. uh, unfortunately, um, you know, I don't want to blame you totally for that, but I, I, I do have to throw you under the bus. You, you missed the shot. Uh, didn't, <laughs> didn't get it. That, that rings up there in the top five of, of regrets. And so that, that's a little, my, my tortured relationship with them is a little bit about these moments where as a fan, you know, I love their music so much. I've seen them, you know, so many times and now I want more out of experiences, right? Now I'm like, right. now I want to like, how do you top or get a stick or, you know, like right. those, those other types of moments. Uh, All things and, I've yeah. done. But yes, <laughs> you're underselling that moment. And I think this is important before we get into uh, the meat of this pod here, but that particular show, it was the Toad the Wet Sprocket Counting Crows show. And prior to that, I believe, Toad the Wet Sprocket had closed with Walk on the Ocean and Glenn Phillips, the lead singer of, of Toad, you know, does this pause before he begins. And you started off singing like, we spotted! And <laughs> the crowd laughed. He turned to you. I mean, that's how yeah. much of a part of the show you were at that point. So that later when you got Charlie's foot on your head, and uh, I wouldn't blame me. I would blame Stone Brewing uh, because I'd had a few IPAs at that point, and I didn't get the photo. We were basically part of the show, and I think the other part about this is that for anyone who's been to a concert with you or me, you were either really happy that you've got people that are pumped up to sing the songs, or really unhappy that you might hear our version of the songs <laughs> and not the County Crows versions. Yeah, but I would say that's that's five percent happy to ninety-five um, percent unhappy. <laughs> Uh, I totally agree. Uh, apologies to all those fans. Um, okay. So, Hey, let's, let's dive in here. And, um, you know, I just want to walk people through quickly the background story. I think most people listening to this podcast are probably not casual fans, so they may know this and, and there's probably gaps in my research here, but I just, uh, it was interesting for me and I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Interesting for me to kind of dive into some of this stuff, because some of these things I remember looking up back in the day. And, and learning as I became a fan, it was part of what made me a fan. It was, you know, early internet days, finding these blogs or these interviews with Adam Duritz or the band members or, you know, early YouTube days and finding documentaries. And to be honest, for about 25 years, I stopped because I kind of felt like, yeah, I've got it. Like, I understand the, the story. But there were a lot of holes in my own knowledge um, and some interesting stuff that I wanted to get into. So before I break down the timeline, is that was that a similar experience for you? Or how did you find the process is just like, doing 
a half day of research on this topic. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, similarly, uh, realized, you know, I, I, I knew a little bit about Duritz and, and right. kind of his, his journey, but absolutely did not know anything really about the other players. And I, which is, you know, uh, doesn't reveal me to be the, the greatest fan maybe of all time, uh, because I, wh- one of the things I think makes the Counting Crows so good is how amazing each of them are as individual musicians, right? And and right. it's not like these guys just came together, started counting crows. Each of them has a like a music past, and each in their own right is are just insane musicians, right? Hundred you know? so percent. Okay. Le- yeah. So learning about that was was fun. I agree. That's that's a that's a great place to kick it off. So the basic backstory here, and Chris, you can fill in some gaps for me. But essentially, if we're going to start a counting crows history lesson, we have to start it in Berkeley where Adam Duritz is at college. He begins uh, essentially um, writing his first song uh, using a piano that was across the hallway from him in his dorm room. He writes his first song for his uh, younger sister at the time. And he said that really that was a huge moment for him. The name of that song is uh, Good Morning Little Sister. He then goes on to play music in a couple Bay Area bands. Uh, Sorted Humor is one of those bands. Uh, where he meets a gentleman by the name of Marty Jones, um, or maybe he's already met him, but they play together. Then they play in a band called the Himalayans, uh, which also has Marty Jones. And through that relationship, he meets Dave Bryson, who's a producer in the Bay Area. Um, and and he did that, right. He, Bryson yeah, did some uh, uh, producing right for the for the Himalayans. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, I believe he was a producer, um, and then. Um, yeah, and then I think he wound up becoming the original founding member with with uh, Duritz for County Crows. Yeah. Essentially, after that, Duritz takes a little hiatus, um, goes to Europe, comes back, and I'm 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 kind of breezing through these, but we're going to revisit them. And then we have the early Counting Crows, and we get the band lineup. So I mean, that's there's a lot in each of those chapters, but I guess out of that, where do you want to start? Like, what's the most interesting piece of that because i don't know if we need to do a deep dive in each of them but like yeah <laughs> what what did you what stood out to you when you were reading through that kind of history For, i i loved I, now so you know i i'm only now coming to a place where i can start talking to myself as really like a songwriter right and so i could right I, I, I feel, I feel, like well i feel confident enough to to say that now that i've, I've written a fair amount of songs um mm-hmm. And I loved hearing him talk about those early days where he was, you know, in, in an English, uh, getting an English um, degree um, at Berkeley and was realizing, you know, that, you know, he was good at writing, but didn't love writing some of the papers and found himself being becoming pretty addicted to meddling around the piano um, and then wrote that song. And the, and the minute he wrote that song, it was sort of like it clicked. Like I, I was able to find some chords that 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 sounded pretty good. Um, and, and then, you know, wrote some stuff out, had some melody. And then once he, it, he had a song, it was sort of like, like this shift to, this is who I am now, right, right. you know? And he talked a little bit about that where it was like, you know, a lot of my friends, I, what, what I, what I loved hearing him say is I knew in that moment that I was a songwriter, that right. this is, this is what I wanted to do. Now he's like, I fell behind way behind later when all my friends went out and got jobs and stuff like that and went on to these careers and I, I was struggling to figure out how I'm going to turn this into making a living. But right. um, I, like for me, it just gives me chills to hear him say, like, in that moment, I, I knew who I was. I knew that I was a songwriter. And this is what, this is what I was going to do no matter what. 
no matter what. And, and, you know, I, I think that is one of the reasons that, that this music connects with me so much is because I think in a way I live vicariously through him because I was never able to make that shift and say, I'm, I'm going to do music no matter what there's, right. there was, I, I wanted to write and I did some music, but I, you know, it's like, I knew I, I didn't have that full confidence that, that, that that's part of who I was. It was just sort of like, well, I'm going to get, I'm going to try it. I'm going to give it a shot, you know? And it wasn't that the way he describes it. It was like, this is what I'm going to do. This is who I am. hundred percent. So yeah, I think that's a great call out. I thought the same thing, right? That's what's incredible to me about this is that he's, he, yes, he had told a story in one of these podcasts about how he had kissed a girl behind a school one time after he sang, or he didn't kiss a girl, but like girls were interested in him after he sang behind a school. And so he kind of thought that was cool. And a lot of his like pods are about how he's doing it for girls, which I think when you're young, that's kind of what you're doing for friends and for girls. But yeah, I thought that was great. He writes that song, takes about five hours. I think he said something like that. And then he realizes like, I'm a songwriter, like this is what I'm going to do. And then he does it. And I think that's very inspiring, as you mentioned. I think it's super cool. But it did make me, um, you know, think about you. And there's a couple other a couple other pieces here. But I actually thought it was fascinating that he did say, um, you know, I was ahead of all my friends because I knew what I wanted to do. And then when you're in college and you're getting out of college, everyone's trying to figure out, like, what are we going to do, right? Some people do, like, a banking route. Some people do whatever. And yeah. you feel like, um, you know, you're trying to find out like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And he already knew the problem was he was having a hard time monetizing that. I think really, he didn't say it quite like yeah. that, but he's like, how am I going to make this work as a career? He had two successful parents, right? Who were both doctors. I think he obviously must've had a, a sense of wanting to be like more accomplished with his life. He went to this great school and he wound up doing jobs like landscaping um yeah. you know as he mentions in the song to get in here yeah construction dishwashing right dishwashing. no more dishwashing yeah. for me yeah. um video store and you know um i think that at the same time he he wasn't really succeeding at first was he like those bands that he was in it's not like sordid humor or the himalayans yeah. were were any great shakes from what i could understand Right. So and I think, I, yeah. And I think sort of humor, sort of humor, right. He was, um, he wasn't lead, lead singing in that. Band, right. right. He was, right. he was sort of backing vocal um, and, and maybe helping with some of the, the writing stuff. Um, yeah. And, and, and ex- exactly right. Himalayans, I think, um, you know, they, they obviously had, they had some good songs. Some of those songs ended up being right. Counting Crow songs, but, right. um, but I think that the, some of the, the, the ideas of being in a band, especially maybe with your friends, you know, were part of the issues and problems with that band and, and the reasons why that ended up not really working out. Um, and I think he felt maybe like he got separated from his really good friends at, during that time because of that experience. Um, and maybe right. jaded, maybe jaded him a, a little bit, you know, but yeah, feeling like I, I know who I am, this is what I want to do, but how am I going to get it done to a place where I can sustain myself, you know, sustain a living? Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So he's in, you know, as you mentioned, he's not the star of the show in Sorted Humor, but Marty Jones, I think, is playing bass at the time. He's his really good friend, right? So they're 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 gigging, yep. and then um, he joins. Um, and correct, keep me honest on the timeline here. I've got a bunch of notes, but they're all over the place. So you got then they join. They create the Himalayans band, right? Yep. And yep. through that band, Marty Jones again is the bassist, but now Duritz is the lead singer. But there's another. Um, Dave Januszko, I, can't, I don't know if this pronouncing his name correctly, but there's another member of that band who kind of co-writes 
round here, for instance, which he winds up getting writing credits on August and everything after later on down the road. And so they're in that band. And I thought like, what was really interesting about that is through that relationship, they wind up meeting Dave Bryson, who is a producer kind of in the area and they wind up, you know, forming a relationship. Um, and I think, you know, obviously they had a, like a connective, a connective moment or connective tissue in some way. However, things aren't really going great. And so at the time, Duritz is like, I think I'm done doing this. And he goes to Europe on a backpacking trip, right? I think with Marty Jones to figure out like what he's going to do with the rest of his life. Um, because he thinks it's over, right? And then he's going to come back and he's just going to get like a, a regular job. And I feel like that's so relatable and it's also unbelievable because here's this guy who we are now on episode two of a podcast amongst a thousand podcasts talking about the subject because this guy has written these incredible songs for 30 yeah. years. He's obviously super talented, whether you like him or not, like the songs, the writing is really good. Right. And he was going to give up. That's yeah. incredible to me. He was done. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to believe, especially just after I got done saying that, like he had decided this is who I am. And then he was right. like, maybe it's not, you know? Yeah. But 10 years of dishwashing and construction jobs and playing yeah. bands where the music isn't exactly what you're going to be. Yeah. And yeah. You're getting point, separated from your friends, you know, you're having friends, but and he talks a lot about that. You know, he kind of says that like being in a band, you're learning how to be in a band, your friends, it's fun, but like, you know, a hobby, he said, his quote was oh, yeah. art, yeah. art is work. A hobby is fun. And so he's in Europe now and he hears about his other friend, Dave Immerbluck, who had been kind of playing with them, I believe. Um, I don't know. I think he was playing with them in the Himalayas. Maybe not, but but they're in like the same circle of musicians. Yep, is absolutely. playing also in Camper Van Beethoven. And he finds out when he's in Europe that Camper Van Beethoven is playing opening for the 10,000 Maniacs at the Greek theater. And he's like, well, this is great. I mean, that'd be like, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. You'd be like, what, Graham's opening for whatever, the Wallflowers, at, yeah. you know, yeah. at the Hartford Meadows yeah. Music Theater? Like, I'm going to yeah. come back and do this. Yeah. Like, I know I can yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah, if he can do it. Right. right. <laughs> like, that's super motivating. Yeah. So that's where I was going to connect uh, what I wanted to ask you about, and, and we can come back to it. But like, you know, that's how close. It's a razor's edge for this type mm. of stuff. And you could apply this to any, probably any profession, but especially these professions that a lot of people like want to do. I think it is just that one sliding door where you could be like, this sucks because it does, yeah. that sucks, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, we've kind of, I've been buried the lead, but you invited me the way we know each other is that you were the lead singer in a band. You started with a guy named Luke. It's called the Luke and Chris band. And Yikes. <laughs> Not the best day, name, but whatever. But when you hear about how Counting Crows came about, it's not like he had any grand plan either. So, mm. you know, you're in this band, you need a drummer, you connect with my brother. What type of music do you play, Chris? Counting Crows, Matchbox Tony, whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. And we do that in the, in the, in the band. You've played, what's funny about maybe never seeing a show at the Troubadour, you've played a lot of those places, right? You played the Roxy, you played many of the Hollywood clubs so it's almost kind of funny that you never saw a show there or performed there with right. the way that band was going um but also it's so funny because this exact experience happened to us didn't it in a way it was like 
it was really fun to be with your friends and play. And then when it got to be a little serious, because we started, well, you guys had already had really good gigs, but like when we played the Roxy and things were getting yeah. going, you have to really kind of make some tough decisions about the direction of the band. And it's just funny how like, I'm not saying that band continues and there's a million <laughs> bands that don't make it. I'm just saying, yeah. Duritz is at that crossroads. Every artist at some point is at that crossroads at least once, if not yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and we all had a desire for sure to, to do music for a living. No doubt about it. You could argue whether or not we felt like it was a hobby or <laughs> full on right. art. I, I would, you know, if you, I would say we would all have said art for sure. And we, we got to see firsthand um, how, how, you know, so, so not necessarily friendships, but how that band dynamic can get destroyed, right? Our bass player and our violin player were in a, a pretty serious relationship. I mean, as serious you can get in your, in your early twenties, um, right. you know, and, and, sort of their breaking up or breaking apart kind of, you know, did kind of break up that our band in, in a way. Um, now they were also both classically trained musicians that right. have gone on to be studio musicians. And right. so at some point they were like, they stuck with it. Well, yeah, well at some point they were like, we, we actually need to do make a living. You know, we had to go right. actually make money from doing this. And I think, right. you know, at that point, I don't, I don't, you know, I didn't stick. I, I don't know how you felt about it then, but, um, we didn't stick with it. We were just like, Oh, it's done. All right. We're done. And now that, right. like, that was my shot. I guess it's not who I am. And now I'm, I'm trying to find a career, you know? Well, I wish I would have listened to this podcast because it had, a, if I had known like how fortunate we were at that time, I probably would have taken it a little more seriously, but to be honest with you, I was probably in it for the free beer more than anything back then. And I got to wear your diesel jeans, which was awesome. But what's interesting about the Duritz story here is yeah, that you stretched out <laughs> 10 sizes. <laughs> hey, I'm a large man. As it turns out, in this case, Dritz comes back with a totally different mindset, right? He comes back, he gets Bryson basically on the phone and is like, let's do this Counting Crows thing, right? And they start playing together and obviously have a connection. And then they don't just like, oh, let's get our friends back together. He doesn't bring Marty back into the band or anything. Bryson helps, I feel like, find these musicians right that are well they bring Emmy in who's a really talented musician whether or not you like some of the direction he's gone musically and with the band now but he's really yeah. good obviously he's playing they've got uh matt o'malley or is it matt matt malley excuse me matt on malley, the, yeah. uh, the bass, bass yeah um they've got um steve bowman on the drums they've got charlie gillingham on the keys which is still with the band obviously right and they Emmy. so it's like yeah. I don't know if it's an all-star group, but like it feels like it was a very intentionally put together group at this point. Once they become the yeah. Counting Crows, like they were thoughtful about who they brought onto them. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And and um, you know, Dave and uh, Adam, right, were this acoustic duo for for a bit, right? right? Just right. like you said, they were going around drumming up buzz um, just as a, a, a duo, and. Um, you know, just like it's this razor's edge about, you know, what maybe a door opens and, and someone just gets a, gets a, a you know, um, someone is able to make it, they, they get a break. Um, it's also that with like, the, apparently, uh, Matt Malley, you know, he, he's playing, playing bass. I, what I read was that he, he ran into, he was like getting a haircut and he ran into Dave. They had, they, you know, they had um, been working together. I guess I had read that he was actually in the band with Dave um, earlier. Uh, okay. Like three years, three years before they started Counting Crows, that they were in a band together. But, um, but anyway, so Dave was getting a haircut, 
and ran into Matt. And that was like the reintroduction towards that him then joining the band, which is, you know, that's crazy. Yeah. What are the, right. what are the chances of that? He's, he's like, Oh my God, we're starting this duo. Um, you should right. come meet Adam. And then him and Adam right. kicked it off because Matt is a huge fan of, of Celtic folk rock. And so mm. they, they connected him and Adam connected on that. And then, you know, all of a sudden then he was wow. in the band. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And then, so they've got this band together and they start, you know, where they're writing music and, um, Emmy leaves, right. To focus full time, I think on camper van Beethoven at that point. Right. So he's gone. Yeah. And that's when they bring in Dan, uh, Vickery, right. To be the guitarist in the band ultimately sometime around that point. So yep. at this point, they're the, they're, they're playing together. Um, and I don't know, did you did you catch like any of the backstory about how they came up with the name Counting Crows? I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So so give do you know the story? Do you want me to do you want me to oh, kick Yeah, it yeah. Off? You're talking about um one for sorrow, right? Yes. So yeah. so Duritz is somehow friends with Mary Louise Parker. Yep. The actress, um, before she's like super famous, but she's already an actress. I wasn't exactly sure how they knew each other back then. I think they dated briefly. I, I've I've read they were friends, and I also read that they were yeah. Right. I think he, I think they dated be like early, then realized they were just going to be good. They were just friends. But in this movie that she's in called Signs of Life, there's a scene where these two characters are talking, and they see these crows fly off, and the guy says, "Oh, that reminds me for this." of this old um it's like poem i guess right yeah divination it's like a rhyme yeah nursery rhyme yes and and how does it how does it go for the audience one for sorrow two for joy three for girls four for boys five for silver six for gold seven for a secret never to be told right which as everyone knows on this podcast is ultimately what winds up being in murder of one right yep so absolutely He's wa- he's he's watching this thing, and he says, "Not only does he borrow that for this other song, but he thinks to himself, Counting Crows, like they're Counting Crows, like that's that's going to be the name of the band.'" And at the time, I've heard him say that like he didn't have a better idea. Basically, like the other the other names were not good, um, yeah. and so he came up with that one, which is I don't know. It just fits, right? It just works, it and I love I love that there's that there's that backstory to it. Yeah, it's um, beautiful. So anyway, so. I don't know, you know, we've kind of got the background here again. There's these, you can go down a lot of these different rabbit holes. The other piece though, that I wanted to touch on, and I don't know if you read it all about it, but you know, their big breakout hit, um, and we can do a little bit on the, I didn't do a ton of research on this, but I have a little background about their getting the record contract. So, and I don't know if you like read into that oh. at all, but before we get to that part, like, they were their big breakout hit winds up being Mr. Jones, right? And they were already playing that song like in the early '90s before they signed their record deal. Uh, obviously, I guess right that was one of their songs that they had written. And the backstory to that song was so awesome. I don't know if you read anything about that, but yeah, did you read so, anything about that? Yeah, yeah. You, the backstory of how, of how he when he wrote that song and how. He, yeah, like yeah. what was going on at the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right. So he's he's down in in uh, in San Francisco, um, yeah. and um, he there he's out with with Marty. Um, Marty's dad, right? Um, David Serva, 
um, I, I think that something like that it was that Dave, yeah, Dave like Sarah, Sarah, like, who I guess you know was one of a, a very few American guitar players who who have made it in in the flamenco uh, in in Spain. Um, right. Was was in town playing with like a like an old troupe, like his old flamenco troupe, um, and and Adam and, and Marty go down down you know down at the new Amsterdam, right? So they're actually go down yeah, to the new like, Amsterdam, which, right, which is a bar, right. which now apparently is called like. Uh, like just the international sports bar or something like that. Like I, oh, I, really? I saw oh. like a picture of it and I was like, oh, the that's it. but now it's like that. That's one of their main things they, they tout on their like Facebook page is like, oh, this is the, funny. this is the bar. Yeah. Um, where Mr. Jones has written. Um, oh. But yeah, so, so they're out and, and you know, him and Marty are, are, are watching, uh, you know, uh, David Serva, you know, playing and, and, and uh, watching these beautiful flamenco girls dancing and look over and they've got, you know, Chris Isaac Strummer in the corner, uh, uh, Kenny Dale sitting with like, you know, three beautiful women talking to them and they're, they're just going, man, it would be so much, e- this would be so much easier if we were just rock and roll stars, we got to do this thing. But then all, right. you know, also, re- also realizing the fallacy of that, that, you know, there's this idea that if you, if you make it, your life is taken care of, everything's going to be great. Um, right. and not only that, but, but it, it'll be so much easier with women. And in some ways that's the case, but in so many ways, no, of course your life is not going to be fixed. It's not going to be perfect, you know? And, and that right. the irony of that, you know, led him to, to write that song, which is. Yeah. I think it's incredible, right? I think it's incredible. You just nailed it. Like that's the story. And I think the fact, what makes the, uh, so these songs, the point of the origin sort of connection here is that these songs were written right at this time and Doris's songwriting, the songs are so good because they're about like real stuff, like, like the details of these either real experiences or imagined experiences, but with a lot of um, like personal pronouns, like names, right? Like specifics about place and, and feel and, you know, like these these universal kind of aspirations and everyone has that like oh if i was just a rock star like this would be everything would be great right and and like just nailing that and, and i i actually had never heard that story that you just told until like a couple of days ago i didn't realize that all those things like he's talking about walking through the barrio and all this stuff like that's just what they were doing like literally what happened yeah. literally what happened yeah uh, and the flamenco dance like i'd never heard that piece so like that was super cool. And I, I say that all because they, they write this collection of songs. They're playing them around everywhere. And, you know, this is the era of like college radio rock um, and bands are being broken. Like REM had really kind of set the stage for that, I think. Mm-hmm. And and they're, they're getting kind of big. And so they have ultimately what winds up with like a bidding war, essentially, <laughs> from I believe all nine. I think the number was nine. Yeah, nine major like record companies, like yeah, like basically trying to get them to sign, uh, sign the the Counting Crows, and um, you know, the only detail I heard about it that I thought was was really great was that these guys were not dumb. Like they, there was a nickname that I heard they were called the Accounting Crows <laughs> because they knew how good they were and they knew how good the songs were. And I think one thing that record companies look for is like the ability to write a lot of songs and they could just tell by the songwriting, this guy could just crank these things out, you know? Yep. So I believe the big deal was that they signed ultimately, um, with Geffen, right? Yeah. Gersh, yeah. Gary Gersh. And, yeah. yeah. Gary Gersh, Geffen. And one of the huge wins was that 
they um, negotiated for like the song rights or something, right? It was something that basically unlocked all this money that they wound up making on that first album that typically when first bands get their first deal, they don't see any part of it. Yeah, um, especially now. Oh my God, Un- unheard right. of. Yeah. Right, unheard of. And so like that was a huge deal. And that's ultimately when that album, you know, exploded, um, you know, they had already made, they had already made a ton of money, particularly Duritz, who's gets writing credits, I think, on every song. So anyway, I just thought that was that was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I hadn't heard but, the Counting Crows, and I and I actually I didn't know that their their first deal was was so big. You know, yeah, I mean that because that's that's you're you're you know before they're sort of tried and true. You know, they're getting paid paid to in, in for of like what they're kind of you know they, companies now don't gamble like that really. You know, right. the, the the big labels aren't gambling anymore. It's like you've got to show you had this huge following before right. now. And I'm sure for, for then, I'm sure they did have a, a huge like local following. But right. that's those aren't the numbers they want to see nowadays, right? Um, right. But the, right. but the fact that they were able to play those nine labels sort of off each, of each other and get that bidding war going, um, yeah, and then and get a retained... massive deal for one, the first album. That's right. And I think the deal was like. Bet, it might have been betting on themselves more than it was them paying. I think they basically got like what you'd consider like a back end deal type for mm-hmm. like a movie, right? Whereas normally an established star could negotiate that, but like your first movie, no right. be like, yeah, yeah, we'll give you a cut of the profits. Sure. But I think they just essentially negotiated that control, which really helped yeah. make them a lot of money. So, yeah. anyway. which shows a ton of confidence, right? They they sort of right. knew, they, yeah, they knew like we're we're gonna be big, yeah. we're gonna crush it, and then. You know, from there, I mean, it's another episode. Um, we're already 40 minutes in and I've got some other things for you. But, you know, there's a whole thing, right, where this happens and they just go, they go to L.A. and they record this album and it gets huge. And then, like, their lives change. And, like, that's a whole very interesting piece, sure. too. But I think the buildup is kind of fascinating. The journey they take, the bands that they're in that don't really hit, you know, the leaving, the quitting, the coming back determined, the kind of putting together this very specific band. The fact that Emmy's yeah. not my favorite, although I totally respect him as a musician, but like that he has always been around. It's not like they just found this random dude. Like he's been around really since the beginning. Um, yeah. Although, okay, I have a, I have one last question for you. And then I have yeah. another open-ended question before we get to uh, some new stuff. First one is, was it a blessing that Emmy was not part of the group that went to LA to record uh, August and everything after, or that that he wasn't that he got pulled into another band for this part of their their career. Well, it, we know that it was a blessing that he got uh, that he sort of decided not to join early on because he sort of ended up providing this crazy inspiration for Duritz after he right. joined Chamber Van Beethoven, right? Um, right? And they were opening for Ten Thousand Maniacs and and you know kind of helping him realize, oh wait a minute, I could wait a minute. If he could, this is like someone close to me now who has made it now. Okay, right, now right. now I can do it. Um, but like I, you know, I don't know. I mean, um, it, he does seem like in later years maybe he did have a lot of influence on, on Duritz, and and maybe some of those shifts musically maybe weren't my favorite. Um, that, right. That's very that's very possible. I don't know. Maybe that'll be a different show. We can dive into finding out, <laughs> you know, what the influences really were in some of those. Somewhat of years. a leading, somewhat of a leading question. I think. Yeah. I guess. I guess. Like you could tell where I'm going to land on it. Yeah. I love that he's there because he's awesome. He plays all these instruments, and it's. You can, I, I have total respect oh. for guitar guitarists. I also know a lot of guitarists 
that like to play like a bunch of esoteric stuff as opposed to just playing what we like. And he certainly Duritz has this wide ranging interest in music and probably could easily be led down a path where they're playing Celtic music, for instance, at some point. Right. And I think that not having him there was actually a blessing in disguise because you got this stripped down version with Bryson having more of a lead as the acoustic guitar player, not yeah. as much of this other weird stuff. So anyway, that was yeah. a leading question. Okay. Well, we, we also happen to be both be huge fans of when they, they do acoustic, shows right sets you know so the best stuff right i'll take that all day long yeah okay so last one for you um what was your most uh interesting nugget that you dug up and and for those who are still listening at this point (laughs) maybe we should have led with this but what was your most interesting fact or thought that you had throughout this whole thing it could be something you already said well one, one was definitely that bryson potentially is the one who makes a set list i absolutely did not think that was the case i always looked at ken and crows as sort of these insane individual musicians, but sort of not a democracy, definitely a dictatorship. Adam's in charge. He makes the calls, decides what they're going to play, you know, right. what songs go on, what records and things like that. And and so uh, maybe it's been, been a little more democratic than I thought, which, you know, may, maybe leads to, oh, maybe there have been some other influences that, right. you know, maybe I've been putting all the blame on Adam for some of the things that I haven't liked over the years when he maybe doesn't deserve all that. Right, um, right. For sure. Um, and, and then, you know, um, some of it was just tidbits of, of each of, of the members um, and it's just about their, you know, their, their journeys as musicians um, like Bowman, you know, was he, he left in 94. Right. And you're like, mm, how, right. are you, how are you, how are you leaving the County of Girls in 94? This is like, right. this is it. Like you've, you've made it with this band. What are you? And so right. and he ended up leaving and going to, uh, to play with third eye blind, which, right. which, you know, not, not, not a horrid decision. This guy's this guy. I mean, he's hit it twice, right? Right. Now, right, right. <laughs> now I, I, I would be fascinated to find out if he didn't end up just getting screwed by Stephen Jenkins, you know, down the road. Right, right, right. I unfortunately heard that. Maybe That's episode 16. Of some, of, some of that was happening. Yeah. Um, right. But, you know, just like all of these guys, it's, you know, in our experience, right. It was sort of like we, we've, our, our music band experience was this sort of one band and like kind of gave it a shot. For like a year right. and it didn't kind of work out whatever these guys it was it's not like counting crows and that was kind of it these guys all had projects beforehand side projects right. during bands after still right. still all making music and, and you know doing side projects I and mean, these are each one of these members of bands lifetime musicians it's their passions what they you know it's all they wanted to do you know right super 100. inspiring yeah, a hundred percent i totally agree and that that is that is a good point i think the last thing i'd lead you on which i think was very interesting was this is a random one, but I was doing some research and I pulled up a um, kind of a preview of a show they were playing at the Shoreline Amphitheater, which is actually where Ryan worked back in the day. And it was about them coming home, right? And I read this, it was just a simple like uh, newspaper article about, hey, the County Crows are coming back to town. They got a couple questions, you know, like when the local reporter gets to ask a couple questions of the band, whatever. And as I'm wrapping this up, you know, in bed on my phone, at the bottom, there's like the comment section and there's two comments. And, and in the question and answer, they're saying like, Teresa is saying, oh, back in San Francisco, we used to play at all these clubs. And he lists some specific clubs where Chris Isaac used to play and they would go in there and they'd go to all these places. And one of the comments is from this guy who says, um, you know, I was the manager at that bar during the time and I worked the door and I never saw the Counting Crows once ever in that bar in the entire time I was there. And it led me to believe that another quote that Dritz had, which was mystery and myth-making for a band is a good thing. And it's like, 
how much of what we just talked about as the origin story is a hundred percent factual and like they were grinding away in all these clubs and how much of it could actually not have existed. So that's one very interesting thing. And I probably should end there, but I can't help myself. I've got one more that we need to talk about. The other one is these songs from these other bands, sorted humor, particularly in the Himalayans, the alt versions of songs that Duritz sings in his, you know, uh, live performances like Private Archipelago and um, Doris Day, mm. those were sorted humor songs. He was right. interjecting lyrics from these previous bands. And we were always like, what's he talking about? Private Archipelago, Orangutan, Doris Day's yeah. on TV again. Yeah. These were lyrics from these these earlier bands he was playing to, which to me is like either the ultimate inside joke or like a shout out to like, here's my, my roots. Here's where I came from. Like, just because I'm a big star now, I'm not going to forget like what got me here. Yeah. So, and I, yeah. I would say it's the latter, you know, I, I always yeah. felt like it was the latter. I, I, th- I thought it was a shout out. I, th- I think it's a beauty that he saw from one song and able to wind it into his own song um, as a, a as like, like an homage. Yeah. To, right. to those, to those that, that maybe didn't see the, the same type of light that his, his songs uh, have seen. Um, and I, I wouldn't know about those songs, you know, right. if I hadn't heard those in those alt lyrics, I wouldn't have then gone back and checked out those full songs by sort of humor, right. you know? Um, 100%. so I, I've always loved, I've always loved that he does that, you know, well, you know that that'll be another down the road. Yeah. We can talk about the alt lyrics, all his alt lyrics. No, yeah. but that was for me, I always just sang them, but I never knew where they came from. So that was a nice touch, but yeah. All right. Yeah. I think we did a good job chopping that up, but I wanted to talk to you, um, a little bit about what you're working on now. So I know that you haven't you haven't given up. You're no longer dishwashing, which is great. Um, you know, <laughs> no you, more seeing are, clients for me, yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, you are doing a little basement repair, which is interesting. But um, talk to me about Fastest Fox Alive, uh, about you know your songwriting, uh, forming the band, and kind of when we can expect to hear some music and uh, anything else you'd like to share. I'm I'm really excited for you. And um, I'd love to be able to borrow a clip from you for a reasonable fee uh, to to play us out on this episode as well. I I appreciate that. Um, So yeah, Fastest Fox Alive. We, we, you know, as you know, the the naming the band thing has always been an issue with the Luke and Chris band. We could never come up with the name. So that was named. Just got the name. Super excited about it. Met this guy a couple of years ago. Uh, here on Cra- Craigslist ad, no doubt. I put out a collaborate, wow. you know, love to collaborate ad out, met up with this guy at a local spot here, um, you know, hit it off. He has had some guitar riffs. I just wrote some melodies and stuff. So we've got about 16 songs. We're going to release wow. three. We're going to, yeah, we're going to release three coming up here at the end of this month. Uh, it'll be on all the, the platforms. Um, wow. But it's just, for me, man, it's, I just, it, the, the sort of getting the music out there is like the end of that artistic circle you know create it uh get excited about it play it perform it and then get feedback on it so i'm excited to get that piece of it i i can't wait to hear you know what people think about it whether it's whether it's either way it's good or bad um excited to to get out there and it's reminding me of of our days you know back back in our 20s when we were playing and and all that stuff but um yeah i was gonna ask about that so it's a little more intentional now right you didn't not that you weren't intentional to get in the band originally but yeah. you're, you know, you've got, you're balancing a lot more life responsibilities. I give you a huge kudos for continuing to see, you know, it's inspirational, you know, like to see well, you doing this and I'm, yeah. I'm proud yeah. of you, but I, I'm curious, like, 
the songs that you're writing, would you say they're like, are they more complicated now? Like you're bringing a lot more to this, right? As an adult, your father, you've got, you've got other things going on. Like, how do you find the songwriting process? Is it easier or more difficult now? Uh, I would say it's easier. I'm in more control of it than I was uh, back then. You know, it was sort of a, Mm -hmm. a, um, I mean, Luke, Luke was a brilliant songwriter and I was a, a novice then. Uh, you right. know, and so I was just trying to add in where I, where I, I, I thought I could then. Um, mm-hmm. and I've got more experience to hope, you know, to share some of the things I've gone through and, and personal experience. Most of what I write is about stuff I've gone through. Um, right. so, you know, I, I, I think for now, yeah, I would say, I would say it's easier, but I, I'm just, I don't have a lot of time, right. Anymore. I've got two kids, I've got a profession, right. I've got a house, right. All this the responsibilities. And so now I, you know, I'm taking whatever little time I have and I'm, I'm giving it to music when I'm, when right. I'm not giving it to family and these other things. Um, right. And, and yeah, man, that, that, that's a different thing. So, so now it's very intentional. Um, and it, it's obvious that I haven't, I haven't given up on it. I, I've realized, you know, now I wish I had maybe had continued back when I was in my twenties, but it took me this right. long to, to be like, it's okay. It's right. okay to say I'm a songwriter and this is right. like, this is who I am. Um, and, and, you know, I don't have to really do it for anybody else, right? I just do it for me. And if people like it, great. If they don't, that's okay. That's okay. But I, it's, you know, I'm never going to not do it. That, that I know now. And I've sort of given, I've let myself off the hook for that. You know, that's, that's awesome. And here's what I would say, if we can take anything, first of all, that's all awesome. And I'm really excited to hear the songs I have heard. I'm following the Instagram. If you have Instagram, which everyone in the world does, uh, go to fastest fox alive you can hear some of these kind of pre-releases and you can save um save the date if you will to to get the music on june 30th when it becomes available but i think if anything what you just described is actually is the right way to approach it right because the reason i wanted to be a rock star in my 20s was for the reasons duritz talked about which is like to be famous and do all this stuff but i gotta be honest with you when I watch him have to explain the Mr. Jones origin story on like 63 different podcasts over all these years. And yes, he's made a lot of money and he's dated some movie stars and everything else. But like, I don't know how awesome that would be. Right. But I think the awesome, the most awesome part about the story is how it started, how he loved doing it, how the band loved playing music and they made good music together. And like, really that's the ultimate high. And so it's great to see you get an opportunity um, to kind of do that at this stage of your life, because I think whether you sell 10 million records, which would be awesome, right? Because then we'll definitely get you back in the podcast. Uh, you'll at least have gotten the chance to, to use the creative spirit that you have to write music again. So, yeah. um, super pumped for you. Thank you, man. Absolutely. It, it is pretty cool to have realized like I, like I need, I need to do it, you know, and, right. and but it, right. maybe it's not going to be for a living, but it, you know, it's going to be for fun right. and enjoyment. And that's right. It's keep me sane. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, we will, we will all definitely check it out. I really appreciate it. I know you do have a lot going on. You spent a lot of time uh, here on the pod today. We're going to get you back. Obviously we've got a lot to talk about, not just counting crows related, but also as I've kind of mentioned, we have a couple other ideas uh, where we could use your expertise. So um, besides the Instagram fastest box alive, anywhere else that folks should go to check out the music. Uh, yeah, and we'll, be, we'll on six thirty. We'll have it on the streaming platforms, you know, Spotify, Bandcamp, all that stuff. You guys be able to find some of that music. Um, awesome. Yeah, really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me on this show. It's been so fun. Awesome, buddy. Talk to you soon. Take care. Take care. Bye.